This is the latest edition of Popular Technology Radio. I'm Mike Etchart. Glad to have you here today. This is being broadcast on Labor Day weekend. So I'm hoping when you're listening to this that you are relaxing and enjoying yourself this weekend for what hopefully for you is an extended three-day affair. And today we are going to be talking about augmented reality and virtual reality. It's a couple of things in the news that have been happening. And so I've Thought it'd be a good time to kind of review and think about exactly where we are in all of this stuff. It's still in the news, tons and tons and tons of stuff. And, you know, I kind of wanted to get a temperature and see really if we're as far along as we thought we would be, if this really is the next big thing or if it's just the big thing right now and where we are. So joining me on the show, he's been on before, a good friend of the show. He is Cheyenne Decker. He is with Gameplay Productions. He's the owner and director of video game content, all kinds of fun stuff. And he's got his finger on the pulse of interactive land. Cheyenne, glad you could join us today. Always a pleasure. Always Thanks for having me. Oh, uh, it is our pleasure to have you. So this whole thing started. We were sending kind of notes back and forth that um, this chap, Nate Mitchell, he is leaving Facebook, and he is one of the original five with Oculus Rift, uh, which, as we all know, was purchased by Facebook. Great story. You know, these guys were developing this VR headset. And not the first, but a very cool one. They did, I think it was one of the uh, funding sources online, and they got about $250,000 to start it, or maybe a million dollars, somewhere around there. And then they were suddenly bought by Facebook for about $3 billion. And one by one, the original five have departed. And now the last one, of course, just left, a man named Nate Mitchell. And so I thought it'd be a good time to kind of find out where we are with VR and AR. And, you know, is it... Let's say it was three years ago when we were talking about all this stuff and it was going to be the big thing. Is it still a big thing, Cheyenne? Is the big thing now or is it going to be the big thing on the horizon? I mean, it's definitely moving towards the big thing on the horizon for sure. Um, I mean, the industry is still very young. You have to understand, you know, Oculus and, and the HTC Vive and everything is, is really just first gen. So there's a long way to go, especially when you start looking at the future of cloud computing and and 5G and internet connections around the corner. You have uh, lots of haptic body suits and different things being made. And I think we're closer to that movie, Ready Player One, than people realize. (laughs) Well, let's at least do a couple of definitions because you hear this battered around. You hear AR and you hear VR. So you've got augmented reality. And you've got virtual reality. For those folks that maybe aren't super familiar with the difference, let's talk about AR, augmented reality. How would people mostly see that currently? If if they want to experience AR, how would they experience that right now? The mobile market has really dominated um, AR. I mean, I'm sure people have heard of like Google Glass or or perhaps even the uh, Microsoft HoloLens, but the Google Glass was sort of infamous for this, where you know people are wearing these glasses that are basically sort of a smartphone on your face. And so when you're looking through these glasses, the glasses are able to not project um, images within your reality, but it, it simulates that. So you can be, you know, looking at a wall and there's nothing there, but through the glasses you could be watching a movie or looking at pictures or playing a video game or whatever. But for right now, if you really want to check this out, um, most mobile phones, if you have anything up to date, has plenty of mobile games. There's a good um, new Angry Birds that uh, is a good demonstration of augmented reality where, you know, you basically can 
place the mission that you're playing on a table, like you, you, you tap it in digital space, you kind of lock it down, and then you can walk around it in 3D space to really experience what augmented reality brings to the table. In that case, you're looking at the screen of your phone as you do that, correct? Yes, you're looking through the screen of your phone. Exactly. And, and then that's sort of like meshing into the reality behind it to sort of simulate that you're, you know, looking uh, out into a park, but through your screen, there's an alien invasion happening. Right. So your phone is using the camera. So in the room I'm in right now, I'm looking at a bunch of uh, desks with empty chairs. So if I had my phone up looking at that scene, looking right. at my, maybe there would be gremlins sitting in those chairs. When I move the phone away, obviously it's, the chairs are, are empty. So it's augmenting your field of vision, so to speak. Right. Like Pokemon Go is a great example and probably the most popular of all augmented reality games. Exactly, exactly. On that note, we've got to take a break. We're talking to Cheyenne Decker. We are talking about augmented reality, virtual reality, where we are. Is it still the big thing coming? Is it the big thing now? What's coming between now and then, whatever that then is? We are talking about that and how it's being used even separately outside of entertainment. Uh, all kinds of different applications for that that you might not be aware of. And we're going to talk about all of that stuff. So we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Pop Tech Radio. We will be right back. Cancer is the number one cause of death by disease for children in the U.S. today. Since the Austin Hatcher Foundation's birth in 2006, it has grown to provide unique programs to help the children and the families affected by pediatric cancer. Support begins at the time of diagnosis and continues throughout survivorship at no cost to families. Lives touched by the foundation continue to rise each day. But we need your help. Donate, volunteer, or partner with the Austin Hatcher Foundation. Learn how you can get involved. Visit HatcherFoundation.org for more information. And we are back. Popular Technology Radio, Mike Edchart with my good friend Cheyenne Decker, he from Gameplay Productions. We are talking about virtual reality and augmented reality. So Cheyenne, we were talking in the last segment about augmented reality, sort of how it applies to mobile. And is there anything else going on? I mean, AR lends itself to mobile quite conveniently. Most of us have smartphones. And so the hardware device is in most of our pockets. Is AR being used elsewhere besides in the mobile space to a large degree? Sure. I mean, this, like I said, this is really in its infancy. I mean, you're, you're seeing the medical field use it. From what I understand, I think if you have a Porsche, a lot of the Porsche mechanics have an augmented reality system where they can kind of diagnose your car and it's cutting down their time by like 50%. Um, there's a lot of just engineers and people that are using this. Um, I mean, the sky's are the limit really because sort of like VR does, you can have a shared experience where multiple people can be in a room designing or working on a 3D model or designing a car or whatever it is and be looking at the project in a 3D space digitally and be able to manipulate that and work together. So um, you're going to see this probably being used everywhere. Like the fire department I was listening to are starting to use augmented reality headsets so they can walk into a fire and it can start to scan in 3D and it can mark all the environment. Like if there's a crazy smoke and they can't see it all, it'll digitally start scanning things with infrared and like 
create the environment. So there's some very, very cool things that this does way beyond gaming. And is there gating things, things that are not allowing it to move further? What is the big hardware challenge in all of this? Or is there a, a giant hardware challenge? I mean, yeah. I mean, there's always there's always a hardware challenge. It also depends on how you're using it. You know, I mean, are you, are you networking and trying to create a, a multiplayer experience? Or are you trying to, like, you know, link all of your soldiers on a battlefield with, like, headsets so they can all communicate together? Or is it just a, a single experience? There's a lot of different options here with where things are going. And so... The hardware really is the biggest limitation. The same with virtual reality. In order to process and do these things, you really need the processing power to do so. And not only that, but because you're, especially with augmented reality, you're scanning real time in reality. So you also need a a bunch of different sensors that are able to scan in 3D space and place whatever it is digitally in that space in live time. So there's a lot going on behind the scenes of the software itself, which is also extremely complicated. Yeah, right. And of course, like everything, everything's getting faster and more powerful, but still it's never faster or more powerful enough. You always want what's just over the horizon on the hardware side because you are envisioning the need for more power, always. Yep, thus is the plight of humanity. (laughs) (laughs) That's right, that's the plight of humanity indeed. Now, you know, in terms of the augmented reality games, um, like the new Angry Birds, you know, in terms of development, what does that bring to the table when when a client comes to you and says, I want something in the AR space? You know, is that immediately going to skyrocket the cost and skyrocket your production timeline? Are the tools available to make it just like any other development project? Sure. It really depends. A lot of our productions are typically like gameplay based only. We're not doing live shoots of people unless we're doing like sort of a documentary, like developer interview thing. And then we're cutting the gameplay or showing assets or whatever. Um, But when you're dealing with sort of AR and VR, like, um, are you you familiar with uh, Beat Saber? No. That's a great that's a great VR game. That's a great example of a virtual reality game. But if you see people who maybe play it on Twitch or they're trying to like the the trailers for it, you have to almost do two productions in a way. Like you're dealing with the gameplay and the game, but then you in order to simulate somebody in the experience, you also have to be live filming them mm-hmm. and then putting them together. And so, yeah, things can be a little more complicated, especially if you're trying to mimic multiplayer or doing sort of these things where if you've seen in some of the trailers, I think PlayStation had this where, you know, people are in their living room with the headset on, but it's sort of simulating them in the virtual world as they're playing. Those are two things going on at once versus you just showing gameplay, you know, or just showing a a live production. And on that note, we got to take a quick commercial break. We are talking to Cheyenne Decker. We are talking augmented reality and virtual reality. And we got more on Pop Tech Radio when we come back. Brembo has been stopping champions on the track as well as drivers like you and me on the street for over 50 years. 
Whether it's UV-coated brake discs, low-dust premium ceramic brake pads, or high-temperature brake fluid, BremboStoreUSA.com is the place to go to buy genuine Brembo OE-equivalent replacement brake components. Go to BremboStoreUSA.com to help you achieve that 60-0 braking performance you deserve and expect from Brembo. Brembo, the choice of champions and consumers for over 50 years. Hey, we are back. Mike Etchard. We are here on Pop Tech Radio talking about augmented reality and virtual reality. And of course, it is baseball season as we head near to the sort of end of the season. And I'm a big Dodgers fan, LA Dodgers. And there was a piece that came up from the Dodger websites not too long ago about the Dodgers utilizing a virtual reality system to actually practice their hitting and actually get a chance to see kind of pitchers how they pitch. Uh, it's not unclear how they exactly get that information, but it gives them a chance to essentially see pitchers pitching before they actually face them in a game. And it's kind of new, and I guess there's a handful of teams trying it out. Cheyenne, this is something that I never really thought about when all of the Oculus buzz started happening and virtual reality stuff was coming around. You know, it's applications in professional sports. And as we were kind of shifting now into virtual reality... Let me go backwards just a little bit. I want to say that the entire Oculus thing happened back in 20, was it 2012. Was it that long ago? Oculus was not the first virtual reality headset. What did Oculus bring to the table at that time that kind of got the buzz going? It was a huge jump forward for anything that had uh, been attempted in the past in terms of a home console or, or an arcade. I mean, I remember going to virtual arcades in, in San Francisco way back in the day before a lot of this stuff. And those are just, you know, pretty rudimentary, just little experiences. But the hardware and the processing really had advanced. Uh, and, and the same with the software. And so really, if you're trying to create a virtual reality experience, there's, there's a few different senses that you really have to trick in the human brain in order for you to function in that, you know, keep your equilibrium, not feel dizzy, not feel displaced. And so Oculus was able to, um, with just better hardware and better uh, lenses uh, or, or screens for your eyes, able to sort of bring that all together and use sort of the modern day computing in order to power that with some, you know, pretty good software I mean, I don't know how all of their prototypes worked. I mean, I've heard some of their stories, but they've, they've gone through a lot of iterations and they've spent a, a very pretty penny in order to develop the first generation of Oculus Rift that you're seeing today and some of their next generations. Well, it's funny because my recollection was that because I was, you know, in the games business in the 90s and maybe kind of almost up to the 2000s, a little bit before that I, I got out of the games business. But, you know, VR stuff, I mean, that, that had been around for a very long time. And it seemed like that whole kind of virtual reality thing had just kind of gone cold. Like, it just seems like nobody was that interested in it anymore all, or, or that much. And maybe there was stuff going on behind the scenes that I didn't even see. But it seemed like... It was kind of a thing, you know, maybe in the early 90s, and then people just kind of were disinterested. And then it just kind of came roaring back. And nobody was really pushing the envelope up until they kind of showed up. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I mean, I'm sure that there's some 
some hardware and some different things that are going on on the side that were used for different industries that uh, Palmer, who, who originally you know created the Oculus, um, basically pulled that together in order to create the original prototypes. I mean, he was just like a kid, you know, which is amazing that they were able to pull these resources together uh, and to come out with, with something that really got everybody's attention. Literally, it wasn't – this was not a, a known company. This was, these were guys in their garage, right? Yeah, basically. They understood that the hardware for computer processing had caught up enough in order to attempt this. I mean, obviously, things are great if you ever experience some of the, the, the VR headsets now, but there's still a lot of room to grow. And the, the whole thing was, well, how do we basically strap a computer monitor to your face yeah. and then get you to not feel sick wearing that? Because <laughs> we have the hardware now in order to process graphics and things at a high enough level to sort of make you believe that you're in these alternate, you know, realities. Interesting. So, so basically, while everybody's kind of not paying attention, suddenly everything kind of caught up, not only in processing power, but also sort of in the development of screens. Um, and so suddenly the, the time is right, and here comes a bunch of kids or young guys uh, in a garage, and they kind of cobble together something. And I mean, the story that I heard at the time was he was walking around CES with it, and before they even did the, the Kickstarter campaign, or maybe maybe as it was going on, and that's kind of how the buzz started. So I mean, it's exciting. You know, you think that this stuff doesn't happen anymore, like in the early days of Silicon Valley and Apple and and the chip manufacturers and Google, but it can still happen, right? If these guys did it, that was back in 2012, 2013, only five six years ago. Sure. I mean, to do something correct at a AAA quality takes a lot of money and time these days you know we're we're where palmer lucky was at ces with that prototype to where oculus is now is like what a billion dollars later and at least. how many thousands of hours of time um but you know a lot of a lot of the things in the technology world at least the start of the idea comes from sort of an indie beginning i mean right. look at like the gaming world right now with battle royale i mean that started from you know player unknown creating, you know, PUBG, you know, and uh, all of a sudden you got Fortnite and everyone's got to make a Battle Royale game now. But it was only until some somebody tried this idea that all the big corporations were like, okay, let's cash in on this and let's try to take this to the next level. Exactly. So, there is yeah, hope. it's interesting how it works. If you are in your garage and working on some cool things, there is hope. So on that note, we do need to take a break. You're listening to Pop Tech Radio, Mike Edchart with Cheyenne Decker, and we are coming right back. the time to join the Brotherhood of Muscle because we're offering Dodge Power Dollars, which means for each horsepower, you'll get $10 off. Roll out in the Challenger SRT Hellcat Red Eye and get $7,970 off. Maybe you'll take off in a Dodge Charger or share your summer in a Durango. Hurry into the Dodge Summer Clearance event now and save. See dealer for details. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 9319. Dodge is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC.
Hey, it's Pop Tech Radio. We are back. Mike Etchart, Cheyenne Decker from Gameplay Productions, and we are talking virtual reality, augmented reality. We've been talking a little bit about the Oculus Rift, and Cheyenne, I'm kind of far removed these days from interactive stuff. When Facebook bought Oculus, I was kind of surprised because... I just was surprised. Uh, I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. Was that the best place for Oculus, do you think? Well, that's a complicated question if it was the best place, but I think it was sort of inevitable. I think if Facebook didn't acquire them, they probably would have done their own thing. Um, you know, a lot of people look at, <clears throat> look at Oculus and VR as just a gaming thing, but as we mentioned earlier, there's a lot of uses for for augmented reality and virtual reality in terms of, you know, training the Dodgers, which I'm a Giants fan, so I hope that technology doesn't work well for him. All right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's college football teams that are using the same thing, and there's doctors who are doing training and military and engineers. There's there's such use for, for a lot of this, and Oculus sees that potential. And they see that, like, well, we basically have, like, what, 2 billion users. And with Elon Musk, Starlink, and some of the things that Facebook's trying to do to provide Internet to a few billion more people on the planet that don't have it, well, they'll have one of the biggest networks ever. And so if they can create, you know, basically a store, kind of like the Google Plus or Steam or just all of them go down the list, Um, And then they have Oculus Rift and probably an augmented reality component on your phone as well. Well, they'll have one of the biggest digital social networks the world's ever seen. Right. And so not only will you be able to game, but you'll be able to just go talk to your friend in a digital space anywhere in the world or share work or share education or experiences or whatever it is. And so they see the potential of where this technology is going. And so that's why they spent so much money to acquire it and try to get ahead. So is Facebook acting kind of like a developer or like a publisher? I mean, or is that even not even the way to think about these things? They just want to control everything in their space. Think of them like Xbox or what Microsoft and Xbox did, uh, but for virtual reality. You know, and I'm sure Microsoft is going to come out with their own virtual reality headset and HoloLens like we mentioned earlier, like this first generation was a little slow because it was really hard and expensive to get into virtual reality. So in the beginning, the Oculus Play Store, which was, you know, if you had an Oculus Rift and you wanted to play Oculus games, you had to go through the Oculus Rift Store. Just like if you have an Apple phone, you can't play any games on the Android Play Store. Sure, right. But because they weren't having enough sales, and a lot of the software developers are frustrated if they had exclusives on Oculus and vice versa for the HTC Vive on Steam, well, they allowed sort of cross-play. So like half the games I play on my Oculus is through the VR on Steam, and I'm sure people who have HTC Vive, maybe it's vice versa. Um, And so they opened that up. But ideally, I think what both of those companies want is just their own amazing VR store with their own hardware headsets, where if you get that headset, you have to buy software through their store, just kind of like PlayStation and uh, Microsoft have done Sure. for the last couple of console generations. It's like, hey, you got a PlayStation? Like, well, you can only buy games that are PlayStation games. 
And even though you got Call of Duty on PlayStation and your buddy has it on Xbox, well, you can't play together because you're on our network. So that's sort of the game that a lot of these tech companies have played for a long time is how do we get people into our ecosystem and then keep them there. Now, the other thing interesting about Facebook is um, now that the original five, the guys that really put this whole thing together, they're gone. You lose a little bit when you lose those original visionaries in this space, or is it now just kind of part of the Facebook culture and ecosystem and it will continue on and continue to grow and develop as it would if those five guys were originally there? Or do you lose a little bit of the magic when you get rid of the original chaps? It's hard to say. I mean, typically you would say, yes, you do. But that's not to say that these guys are going out and starting their own software companies or gaming companies or hardware that is going to help Facebook and Oculus in different ways. Like, for example, I'm blanking on the guy's name, but there was a guy who used to work for Google, and he ended up helping to design Google Maps. He went on within Google to start a little side branch, and they ended up creating basically the first augmented reality game called Ingress, Mm. which was sort of like the prequel to Pokemon Go. And so I can't remember if it was before he made Ingress or not, he left Google and made that game and then went on to make Pokemon Go. But he still, in order to sell and use that game, is going to go back through Google and Android and their systems and whatever. So yeah, these you, guys sort of break off, but yet they still help the ecosystems from which they came from. So I, I don't know how to look at that exactly. If they're yeah. like helping or they're going rogue or pushing the technology forward. I mean, I'm, I'm happy that that guy did what he did and created Pokemon Go. And now we have the Harry Potter game and... There's a bunch of other augmented reality companies that are coming up now that are looking at Pokemon Go and as an example of like, wow, there's a lot of options here of what we can do in this space. And is Pokemon Go still as popular as it was? You know, I don't know the latest numbers. I mean, it's definitely still popular. Um, it's definitely not as popular as it was. I don't know if you remember in the beginning, it was oh, like yes. a, a bunch of zombies running around, almost getting hit by cars. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Hopefully it's not crazy. that popular. But of course, yeah, I still see people doing it e- even today. So on that note, we do need to take sure. a quick break. We are talking to Cheyenne Decker, our good friend from Gameplay Productions up in Northern California. You are listening to Pop Tech Radio. I am Mike Etchard. we got to do a little, little commercial business here, and we will be right back on Pop Tech Radio. Have you ever tried to plan a vacation and the hotel costs, airfare, and pet sitter all add up to one big never mind? Well, it's time to embrace the adventure and go RVing instead. GoRVing.com is your one-stop shop for all things RV camping. Browse the different types of RVs, find a rental agent or dealer near you, and compare the costs. Explore more than 16,000 RV parks and campgrounds nationwide, and even plan your menus for the trip. Find out what you've been missing at GoRVing.com. That's GoRVing.com. Hey, welcome back, Pop Tech 
Radio Mike Etchar, Cheyenne Decker. We're talking AR. We are talking VR. A couple of segments back, uh, Cheyenne, we were talking, of course, about headsets. Everybody kind of gets the headset thing, I think. Uh, but you also mentioned haptic suits. And I meant to grab you and say, wait, 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 rewind. rewind. What's a haptic suit? Let's talk about haptic suits and what that is and why that is pretty darn cool. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of different forms, but uh, I guess the basic idea or what you might see now or have in the past is maybe like a vest. <clears throat> and in the vest, it has sort of gyrosphere motors, like a bigger version of maybe what your cell phone has. And so let's say you're playing uh, Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter or something, and as you're playing and you're fighting and your guy gets punched or hit, the vest will actually have some shock and have some vibration to make you feel like you're getting hit in the game. <laughs> of course. So those are pretty, yes. So those are pretty rudimentary, but with, uh, with virtual reality, because you're in this 3d space and you're trying to pick up items or shoot guns or throw things or all these different interactions that you can have. Um, the, the haptic bodysuit space has really started to blow up. And there's a lot of companies developing a lot of very cool things. That will be interesting to see where that goes. Is some sort of haptic bodysuit going to be its own kind of, will it only work with a certain headset? Or do these kind of exist in a space by themselves? Or do you need to kind of pick I'm, a headset? Yeah, in? I mean, I assume they're going to be sort of open to whatever the main systems are going to be. Because if you're going to be able to buy a, one of these haptic bodysuits or even some of the hand controllers, I mean, they're, they're kind of expensive you're already making a, you know, an investment in the headset and the computer to run everything right now. Uh, so they're definitely going to keep it open for you to be, probably be able to use between Oculus and HTC Vive and anything else that comes out. And, and on the development side, though, what, you know, if you're developing some sort of a game, let's say, and it's going to be a VR game, um, are, are, you, are you designing? Does, does a haptic suit kind of react to something as rudimentary as just sound is there some sort of code that's built into a game that tells if you're wearing a haptic suit uh and it's these kinds of experiences whether it's shotgun blasts or explosions or something is, is that something that's coded into a game that now has to be taken into consideration in the development of a game yeah i mean there's multiple ways to approach this and this is probably going to be one of the hurdles when these haptic bodysuit companies come out especially being third party. If something like Oculus comes out with it and all this software and stuff's going to be built in, of course. Um, but there's, there's different ways to approach this. And, you know, if you, let's say, I don't know, are playing Arizona Sunshine, which is a zombie survival game, and that game's already made. They've had some DLC and whatever. Um, and let's say you're a haptic body suit company. Well, you can come in you can try to sell your suit and say, listen, we, we looked at Arizona Sunshine's game code and we layered in our suit for Arizona Sunshine and, and Beat Saber and all these games, right? They'll, they'll do this on top of the games themselves if they don't have a partnership with Oculus or whatever company. And every time you get you know, attacked by a zombie or you're reloading or whatever the code is, whatever animation you're going through, they can just program that onto the suit. So they don't necessarily need to like have 
a partnership with the game, they can sort of see how interactions and codes work and write that on top of their suit code for how the suit interacts with the game. Right. It's sort of like third-party sites do right now, like when they're you know doing builds and you know multiplayer tracking and whatever of different games. They're basically tapping into the servers to see all the data and then building third-party sites off of that information. Right. So it's sort of similar in that way. Interesting. Interesting. Well, and it's as you're giving me all these explanations, I'm kind of thinking back to, you know, let's say you're a serious gamer and you're going to have a serious headset. You're going to have a haptic suit. You're going to have to have whatever serious gaming system you need for whatever you're going to be playing. You're looking at several thousand dollars for, oh, yeah. for all of this stuff, yeah. maybe ten thousand dollars. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how to judge the haptic suits. I mean, that technology is still very rudimentary. I imagine as this goes forward, something like HTC Vive or Oculus will actually buy out right. some of the best haptic suit companies and just build them in-house, sort yeah. of like they did with Palmer Lucky with Oculus. You know, They're like, okay, this technology is great. Let's just make it AAA now and mass produce it. We'll write a very um, check. So some of those costs might be built in. You know, when you look at like a lot of consoles like Xbox and PlayStation, in order to compete with each other, a lot of these companies actually produce and sell their consoles for cost, Mm -hmm. maybe a little bit above, maybe even a little bit below. They might even be losing money on selling consoles sometimes. But the whole idea is, like I was talking about before, if I can get you into the Microsoft ecosystem, and this is where you're playing, and this is where your friends are playing for the next five or ten years, we'll all make my money back in software. That's right. So it'll be interesting to see how this all unfolds economically. Maybe there'll be pay plans for your suits. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you can rent them. I mean, mean, we're moving towards that movie, Ready Player One, faster than I think people realize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's yeah. The future is is here, you know. But I, the other thing I was wondering too, as we were talking about Nate Mitchell leaving Facebook, is, is there other stuff going on in Silicon Valley outside of gaming, outside of all this technology that maybe you know Facebook has been in the news a lot lately for various things in terms of privacy, in terms of you know everything that they're doing in terms of all the misinformation that's being sent through Facebook. Do these guys kind of think? reading the writing on the wall like hey maybe it's a really good time to get out of facebook well i'm gonna let you think about that because we got to take a break so when we come back we are going to talk about uh that very thing they know something we don't know and maybe they think maybe it's uh, it's time to just leave facebook so on that note we're gonna take a quick break we got more with cheyenne decker and myself when we come back on pocket radio Over the years, automakers have spent a lot of time talking about the future. At Kia, they don't sit around dreaming of a better tomorrow because they already made it so that you can have it today. Introducing Kia's lineup of electrified Nero SUVs, the hybrid, the plug-in, and the electric with an EPA-estimated range of 239 miles. Because the future is just the future until we make something of it. Kia, give it everything. 239-mile EPA-estimated range on a full charge. Actual range may vary. Nero EV is in select retailers and select markets with limited availability.
And we are back. Pop Tech Radio, Mike Edchart, Cheyenne Decker, talking VR, talking AR. And then I left you with this thought, Cheyenne. At the turn of the last century, there was a big move to break up some of these monopolies, you know, the the standard oils, you know, the large, large companies at the, again, about 100 years ago that, that were dominating uh, commerce in the United States. And you know, does Nate Mitchell and all the other four that left before him of the Oculus team leaving Facebook, do they know something we don't know? You know, is there going to be a real push to break up some of these huge, huge tech companies like Google, like Facebook, like Amazon? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a very good point. I mean, sort of the point I was making before, I mean, these guys are also maybe going and starting side companies to sort of help the overall product in itself. But at the same time, I mean, if you're in the executive, you know, side of a lot of these companies, I think it's hard not to be concerned about the government coming in and regulating these tech companies a lot more. I mean, really, they've been protected and running free for a long time. And the reason is because they, they act like they're a platform, but then they run like they're a publisher. Mm-hmm. And then they try to play that game, which offers them protections. And what I mean that is like a platforms like your cell phone, AT&T, if you and I plan a crime over the phone talking to each other, that's not AT&T's fault. That's our fault, right? AT&T is like, hey, we just provide a service. Anything that happens on our service is subject to the laws of whatever country we're in. And so... The argument right now is a lot on the free speech and stuff like that because a lot of people are getting banned. There's just there's a lot of political pressure. And you're seeing reports now that Google and Facebook and some of these companies are, you know, working together and manipulating votes politically. So I doubt that they're gonna get away before the twenty twenty election without getting some regulation and oversight and maybe sued in many different forms, because if you look at a lot of the reports, they're recording information, they're doing a lot of things unlawfully. And it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. I can see how some of these other guys who are trying to make games and Oculus Rift and aren't worried about that kind of thing are just like, well, yeah, this isn't worth it. This might all get broken up, and I'd rather just go do a side thing. It's speculation, but I would be shocked if in the next six months, Silicon Valley isn't regulated in yes. some way. Or at least the beginning of some regulation or the conversation, maybe. Because it took a long time. I mean, the conversation's happening. It's been happening. I think it's gotten to a point where things have to happen. And the last time I was looking, I think Donald Trump and his administration were saying that they're basically drafting all of this stuff right now. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be an executive order of basically like, hey, guys, you guys are monopolizing. You guys are doing this stuff and you have to abide by, you know, American laws like free speech and, and, and the laws behind free speech and not dictate what the speech is on your platforms. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Or maybe the guys at Oculus just wanted to go and sit on a desert island and kick back and that was their reason for leaving. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, it's probably a lot of that, too. It I mean, funny. these guys it's have just gone blame. through a complete chaos blame them. <laughs> to try to make Oculus launch. So. Exactly. Well, in the last couple minutes, let's just swing back to VR for a second. 
are, in terms of platforms, are you an HTC Vive guy? Are you a Oculus Rift guy? Are you, you know, you try them all out. Do you have a favorite? And then what's your favorite game in that space? Yeah, I mean, I've tried them all out. I don't know if I would say which one's a favorite just because, you know, it's just first gen. I do like the Oculus Rift controllers mm-hmm. um, more than I do HTC Vive's. In terms of games, I would highly suggest that you check out Beat Saber, Echo Arena, and Superhot awesome. VR. All right. Those are the Those ones. Those three are, are great examples of the VR experience and very fun to watch your friends play. <laughs> exactly. All right. On that note, then we do need to wrap it up. Cheyenne Decker from Gameplay Productions. Hey, thanks for joining us, Cheyenne. Always good to have you. Always a pleasure. It's yeah. fun, fun. Take it fun. easy, guys. Yes, and on that note, we are going to say thanks for joining us. Uh, Don't forget, we are podcasts. If you want to go back and revisit any old episodes, you can certainly do that on whatever platform you get your podcast from. In my case, that's Apple iTunes. I also want to thank our radio syndicator, Radio America, who broadcasts us out to all the wonderful stations that carry us across the U.S. Big thanks to Mike Paradiso, Jenny Ditas, and all the cool kids up there at radio, or over there in radio, at Radio America here in Washington, D.C. Listening in there somewhere else. And so on behalf of Pop Deck Radio, I'm Mike Etchart. Thanks for joining us. We sure appreciate it. Have a nice weekend, and we will see you next time on Pop Tech Radio. The big news from Subaru is the three-row Ascent. It's the biggest SUV from Subaru ever. There's room for seven or eight passengers with a choice of second-row captain's chairs or bench seating. It'll tow up to 5,000 pounds. It has interior space you need for your whole crew. And it gets you where you want to go with the safety of a Subaru, including standard symmetrical all-wheel drive. The three-row Subaru Ascent. Love is now bigger than ever. Maximum towing capacity varies by trim level, and trailer brakes may be required. See your retailer for details.